is it? It's Clean Comedy Time! Welcome to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guest is Sherry Savage. Sherry Savage is a comedian who lives in Spring Lake, Michigan. Excuse me, beautiful Spring Lake, Michigan. She has been traveling around the country in the past, but of course, right now, everybody's staying at home. So we welcome Sherry Savage to the Clean Comedy Time podcast, where we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the funny. Aging's not always pretty, I know. I can say goodbye to you half mile down the road. My arms just keep waving. <laughs> Welcome to the Clean Comedy Time podcast, Sherry Savage. Hi, guys. Yay, Sherry. So happy to be here. <laughs> Hi, the theater of the mind that you created with the arm wave. I, I thought when I first heard that clip that uh, I wasn't going to really enjoy that as an audio only clip because you have an act out for that. But I had no trouble picturing it. Oh, that's wonderful. I listened to it myself and I thought, gee, this is not going to be funny because it is so <laughs> visual. No, I, I did because I, I've been, you know, out of comedy now for four months like the rest of us. Yep. And so... When you said audio clips, I thought, what audio clips of mine can you use? That, you know, and I thought, oh, good. Let's start with a physical bit. That'll work. Yeah, but absolutely. Absolutely. You uh, have a lot of physical bits. You have uh, material about aging. You have materials uh, about uh, your husband. Uh, uh, is your husband around today? My husband is always around uh, he, he never leaves, you know, anymore. And it, it's it's been a really interesting change of dynamic here because I was always the one on the road, always gone, always going. I'm 64. My husband is 79, and he sits on uh, he sits on like he's on the hospital board, the the planning review commission. He sits on about five boards, but now everything's done from home. So I'm the one, you know, baking brownies and doing jigsaw puzzles while while he's busy working all day. <laughs> so we, we've course. had an interesting change of dynamic here. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your husband and, and how you guys got together. But first, I have a clip to set that up. I recently got married. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did. I, I'm, so, I'm so glad to be done with dating. <laughs> When you're my age, looking for a husband, it's like buying secondhand shoes. You know, over 50, you can't shop new. There's the seconds, the irregulars, and the returned items. So there I am, standing in front of the clearance rack. You two met uh, on a military base, is that right? We were both officers in the United States Navy Sea Cadet Corps, which is a little like ROTC, but for the Navy um, and 18 and under. And my children were involved in the program. I was the mess officer. So I was in charge of, you know, feeding 150 people um, every weekend, whether we were in the field or at a base or wherever we were. And he was, he's a retired Navy captain, 31 years in the Navy, and he was hmm. our training officer. Okay. For a year, 
he kept poking his head in the mess and saying, Miss Savage, you need any help? And I would wave him off. No, Captain, I'm fine. And I didn't realize he was trying to talk with me. And he's such he a He was hitting on you. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. None. Like, <laughs> right over the head. And, um, and I thought it set a bad example to have a man back in the galley with me. Um, and I like being my, having my quiet time. So I just waved him off. And then after an entire year of this, he's a very patient man. We were on um, a weapons qualifying weekend. We were way up in the mountains and I had a field kitchen. And on the last day when everything was packing up and keep in mind, I got to feed 150 people, three meals and two snacks a day for four days. It's a huge operation to plan. And on the last day, things were being packed up, and I asked the Coast Guard uh, officer where my stuff was because it wasn't in his truck where it belonged. And he said, well, that captain there pulled rank. He had me put it in his truck. <laughs> <laughs> he carried your books home from school, Sherry. <laughs> he did. He did. And so the stuff was going to my house, so I had to ride with him. And we were – so we were in the truck, his truck together – uh, for, you know, two and a half, three hours. And when I got back home, I called my four brothers and said, I'm going to get married. <laughs> just I, like we, that. Just like that. We knew. We didn't have our yeah. first date until a week and a half later. But we yeah. we absolutely knew that day that that was, we didn't even speak about it, but we we knew. So you, so you figured it out pretty quickly, but not nearly as quickly as he figured it out, huh? <laughs> uh, you've heard the story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he really had me figured out. I thought I'd you know, done all my opposition research. I knew everything I needed to know about him, but he really understood me in a way that I didn't realize. And um, on our first date, I knew he was widowed. And on our first date, he said, I have to tell you something. I... I, I, I can't make you think something isn't, is true that isn't. I, I wasn't married just once. I've, I was married more than once. And I said, I don't care if you've been married 17 times. I'm the last woman you're ever going to date. And <laughs> nice. So it was, it was just a done deal. So help me fast forward now. So you guys met, you married, and that's what brought you to uh, West Michigan. But then how did you get from that to stand-up comedy. My husband and I were in a comedy club uh, in Saugatuck, the Coral Gables, mm -hmm. owner Mike Johnson. And just before the show, I, I had gone to use the ladies' room and chatted up the doorman. No, just a simple interaction. As and one does. He, as one does. He came over to the table and chatted me up a little more. So before the show, he came and asked if I would uh, open the show, stand up and do five minutes. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not a comedian. Well, he came over three or four times and it was becoming distracting <laughs> because I don't, believe it or not, I really don't like being the center of attention. So it, it was becoming distracting and they were actually holding up the show. And I kept explaining to him that I wasn't a comedian, but he didn't believe me. He said, just get up and tell the audience what you've told me. Well, he just didn't believe that I wasn't a comedian and I didn't know that he was the owner of the club. So I got up and I did five minutes, brought the house down. Someone taped it. It went viral. It got 57,000 hits in a week. Mm -hmm. And my phone started ringing and I was suddenly in the comedy business. I haven't stopped working since. 
There are so very few stories that involve the phrase discovered. I was discovered. <laughs> you were in the right place at the right time. And being uh, like myself, a, 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 you seem to be a, an extrovert. You talk to people all the time. You're just being yourself. And you being yourself is funny. And the audience loved it. I guess I've never thought of myself as a funny person. Um, I'm, I've never had any desire to do stand-up comedy, but I, what I am is obsessively mentally organized. So in the two or three minutes between him asking me to get up and me actually getting up, of course, I, my husband, I started writing. My husband said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to get up and do some stand-up comedy. He's like, you're, you're, you're what? You're what? Do he, what now? Yeah. So in those two or three minutes, I organized five minutes of material, memorized it and got up and did it. So uh, that, that maybe if I only have one decent quality, it's that I am very mentally organized and I never get up unprepared. If I go to a club and, and which doesn't happen often, but somebody will say, Oh, Sherry Savage is in the audience. Why don't you get up? And, and I say, no, no matter how badly I would like to um, get up, I, I say no if I'm not 100% prepared to get up and do my absolute best at that moment. And that's just one little bit of discipline that I do have, and I'm always prepared. So that that five minutes that I did on stage at Coral Gables uh, was just like a magical, lucky point in my life. And six weeks later, I headlined my own show, did a 40-minute set. <laughs> and, and, and the people hiring me, I kept telling them I didn't know what I was doing. They were using terms. They were using terms that I didn't understand. You know, I had bookers calling me, and and and, and I would just kind of nod and say, oh, great, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'd be writing down these things they told me so that I could Google them and pretend that I was smarter for the next phone call. So – um, I, I was hired to headline a show. I've been I've been actually making money at this ever since and for no good reason at all, except that I just kind of get after it. Well, you've got uh, a, a pretty good crowd of comics who find this uh, incredible, <laughs> I should say, but uh, are, you know, in awe of how you got discovered, how quickly you move that forward and then not only embrace doing comedy, but then added to that uh, your promotional skills to, to get yourself out there and uh, and build the start of a, a lovely career. Very impressed and just a tad jealous, honestly. Oh, no. <laughs> I, met, I met Aaron and you right when I was starting. We were all starting at the same time. And it was just amazing to have people that I felt I could talk to that were you know, is as concerned about being professional as I was. And the thing about comedy is you have this immediate little community where you all just root for each other to do the very best and, and you, you want each other to succeed. And, and that is something I think that keeps comedians going, or it does me knowing that I've got everyone else's back. They've got my back. We just want each other to do well. And that's an amazing little camaraderie i just don't even when we're like like in competitions and you're never not wanting the other person to win whatever i hear um more seasoned um comics uh people have been doing this for 20 years 30 years they talk about 
the um the people that they came up with uh it's as if they went to school together or as if they you know worked at that first job together and oh remember when we used to go here and that kind of thing and um from the story you just told i was reminded of that and thinking yeah years from now when we talk about this aaron and you and i um, are going to be in that community together uh, to say, oh, yeah, well, we came up together. We were working at Dr. Grin's and working over here and do it, did that open mic and did that show. And yeah. I, I said earlier that you do comedy about aging and comedy about um, how you met your husband and, and what that's like and so on. But everything you do, I think, is so relatable. It's, it's not just to one group of people. Well, I, I, I do think uh, I don't have... Uh, I don't have the skills that you and Aaron have and that most comics have, which is to be quick and witty. I'm neither quick <laughs> nor witty. And so when I started comedy and suddenly realized I was going to have to do a show and had no idea, I literally got on the internet and read about doing comedy and how do you hold the microphone <laughs> and why do comics I did yeah. and why do comics wear black you know why do they and I so I sort of I'm, I'm kind of an academic and a researcher at heart so I knew one of the first things I knew about comedy was that I'm not a naturally funny person I don't think and I have to work with what I have so when developing a persona, I just thought I have to be a 60-ish overweight gray-haired lady with glasses because that's what I am and take it from there. And and I can only work with I, – I can't just say, oh, gee, what's funny about this coffee cup? Let me write some jokes. <laughs> but you guys can. I, literally, you and Aaron can do that. And most comics can do that. So I can just take what's happened in my life and say, what's the funniest thing about that? And how can I make it a little funnier? And that's why all my stories are true, because uh, th that's all I know how to talk about is my own uh, life and my my own experiences with, you know, marriages and jobs and and being, you know, in this body and doing what I do. So that, that's all I know. I, I, I can't. I can't create anything else. Whereas many comics, uh, you two among them, can create funny out of vapor. I don't know how you do that. I'm just not that person. Well, that uh, source of comedy that you're talking about, the personal stories and that, I think that is the best stuff out there. You know, that's the type of stuff that uh, people can engage with and relate to. You know, to pick up a coffee cup and talk about what's funny about a coffee cup, you know, that's... Uh, that's got its place, you know, but, uh, but Sherry, I got to tell you, I, I engage deeply when I hear you start talking about your, your stories and, and the humor within it. I think you're very funny. And, and I'm afraid to say that, uh, you're selling yourself a little bit short because we've had, you know, dozens of, of lunches and comedy writing sessions together, uh, with groups of us. And you're always very quick, uh, with the punchline. And, and of course you've got a very firm understanding of, uh, the dynamics and structure of joke writing and, and all that. So you're, you're quick, you're witty and uh, you're right in the fact that the personal stories is where it's at. Well, I think people relate to it. You know, there, if, if you, if you say, gee, quick name, a, you know, 64 year old white haired comic, female comic. They say Aaron Sorrells. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the list is short. 
And so if you can capitalize on whatever you have, as you have done so brilliantly, Aaron, if you can capitalize on what makes you different and stand out and be memorable, that audience is not only going to relate to you, they're going to remember you. So when you are, quote unquote, writing, what's the process like for you? I wish I could say something really erudite here. My joke writing process is usually to think of something funny and then... Good start. Good start. Like it. I love it. Fantastic. I I thought for sure you were going to say, think of something funny and then write it down. (laughs) I love that. That's a fantastic method. (laughs) We should all do that. Let's do it that way. (laughs) To think of an amusing amusing thing that 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 happens and then try to tie it to my life for example i was shopping for shoes with my daughter and my bit about you know finding a husband at my age being like shopping for secondhand shoes we we were actually shopping for shoes we were at nordstrom rack and they have all these like return shoes, like these ridiculous looking things that nobody wants. And so I thought that funny, but I, I thought, well, there's no joke there. And then I then I could tie that to uh, looking for a husband at my age. That's something that happened to me, but I can also turn it into uh, into a joke. I was I was arrested once. For, I was arrested for public indecency in Winnemucca, Nevada. And I know, I really, and so there's nothing funny about that. And, and and for many, many, many years, I haven't told anyone about this. And it kind of came up as I was writing. And, but when you say, well, it wasn't in public, it was between two pickup <laughs> trucks. And then the audience laughs a little bit and you say in, in Winnemucca, well, then it's funny, right? Except if, if you're in the East, I'll say Alpena. If I'm in Michigan, I'll say Alpena. Whatever the, there's a town in a state. If I say this in California, I say Winnemucca and everyone laughs because the sound of Winnemucca is funny. It usually just starts with something that's happened and I tie it into my life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Really long, unnecessary explanation. <laughs> no, I, what I hear is you, you when you find the thing that happens and find the funny in it, then... Um, and my wife was telling me this this morning, this is what I do is I think of the audience and customize it for them so that it is particularly funny to that particular room full of people. Well, and then also with what you hit on there, uh, Sherry, it's, it's not either funny or not funny. There's a number of funny things that stack on top of each other. You know, that's, uh, it's the sound of, of Winnemucca, you know, it's the, it's the visualization of being being between two trucks and that not being public. You know, it's it's just this layering of funny, 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 funny. And yeah, that's well, that's that's what we're all shooting for. Well, you actually taught me that, Aaron. The first time we sat down, you won't remember this. The first time we sat down and talked, you taught me about the concept of a twofer. <laughs> And here I thought that was something else all this time. Yeah, I was trying to get two free lunches out of the deal. <laughs> right? We all know when people start in comedy, they talk too fast. They they step over their own punchlines because they're just so nervous. So after you do the same material and variations on that, you know, 100, 150, 200 times, you learn to just relax and enjoy that 
emotional flow between you and the audience, you learn through this period of relaxing through the material to depend on yourself and trust yourself to get in sync with the audience. And it becomes more less of a performance and more of a real relationship. And that brings me to another one of your skills that I think uh, is underappreciated. I have a little clip about that. Another fun fact, I also have bipolar disorder, which is way more useful than it seems. <laughs> Terrific piece of advice for anyone struggling with mental illness. Become a stand-up comic. I'm just saying. Right now. You do this on street corners, you know, yelling at passing strangers. You're a public nuisance. You do it here, you get a dressing room. <laughs> So what we're doing, see all my neuroses? I'm just tossing them out like frisbees. Worry, anxiety, compulsion, obsession, pew, pew, pew! I am outsourcing my mental illness. Here you go. I'm like the Oprah of crazy. You get insomnia, you get insomnia, you all get insomnia! <laughs> she's funny. Yeah, she's all right, yeah. And the tag on the end was recognition of a, a cultural ism. Good job. I wanted for a long time to make jokes about having bipolar disorder. And, but I, I just don't think, uh, I, 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 I just don't think, you know, the way to do it is just to get up and say, I have bipolar disorder and it's okay to have a mental illness. And I just want you to, you know, I want to foster awareness of that. That's not my job. My job is to be funny. The audience didn't pay to have their conscience, you know, uh, bolstered. So if you can't do it funny, then don't do it. So it, that's just my personal philosophy. So um, it took me a long time and a lot of iterations to find jokes about bipolar disorder that were quick. And I had, I had written a lot about it that was kind of amusing in print but didn't work on the stage. And, and there's a big difference in that, you know, it, it's like the difference between massage therapy and brain surgery, you know, it, it, the table funny and stage funny are not the same um, stage funny. Every single word matters. Every single moment matters. You've got to be very surgically precise because you've got to get a laugh about every eight seconds. And so it took me a long time to, condense what I had written um, and get let, let loose of stuff that didn't matter and wasn't funny quick enough. And letting loose of stuff in comedy is hard. You have to learn to let go because there's always going to be another good idea. That, that's a good point, Sherry, because, uh, you know, you talk about wanting to have something bigger or something purpose-driven, uh, you know, raising awareness for mental health and, and making that uh, okay. And that's great. And in fact, I think that's uh, kind of necessary because there's enough downs in comedy that you've got to have something bigger than yourself uh, in order to keep going. But there is that social contract. You know, you when you get up on stage in front of people, the social contract is you are there to be funny. And that is what has to lead everything. Well, the time has come on our little podcast to take a break, but we'll be right back. Be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back. 
Corey, uh, thank you so much for sharing with us a little bit about your comedy journey and your writing process and some of the background stories behind that. Uh, but as Brian mentioned, this this podcast gets a little bit deeper than that. We want to know some of the things behind who you are. Uh, for instance, uh, what's something that's going really well in your life right now, Sherry? Well, I feel really lucky during this time of COVID-19 and the lockdown uh, that I'm healthy. Everyone around me is healthy. I'm having time to, I'm actually pretty much of an introvert. I like just being at home. I could never leave the house and be just happy. So um, I was really prepared for the lockdown Mm -hmm. because I saw it coming two months before the federal government did apparently. So I was really prepared. I had a lot of projects that I had listed. And uh, so I've been keeping very busy at home um, and everyone around me is healthy. We have all that we need. Um, I'm the good. One of the good things is that I'm able to just focus on my health because that's usually the last thing that I turn my attention to my health and fitness. I, I run, I do yoga. Um, I, I've taken up writing letters to people. I try to write one every day to someone that I've interacted with, a handwritten letter to tell them just how important uh, my interaction with them has been. And sometimes it's an old friend. Sometimes it's a a booker from a club who encouraged me. Uh, I've been really people like Kevin Farley and uh, Pat Williams, who goes by Miss Pat and Tone Bell and Mark Ridley. Uh, These people I've worked with have been unbelievably gracious and and Marsha Warfield and so encouraging to me without being prompted. They've gone out of their way to help me along. And so I've taken my time to just write letters of gratitude and and thanks. And uh, I garden and uh, built a beach at my house. So yeah. Did you just say you built a beach? <laughs> yeah. Yes. We, we live on like Michigan uh, on Spring Lake, which is next to Lake Michigan. Oh, sure. And the water levels are very, very high. So a lot of people, their docks are underwater. My docks are underwater. I know that sounds like a really elitist thing to say, but my, my docks are underwater. And so um, a couple of months ago, I just got busy down there and I ripped everything up, built a boardwalk and uh, had uh, 12 tons of maybe 15 tons of sand brought in and my neighbors and I all got together and hauled the sand down 50 feet down my hill and we built a beach. Wow. Yeah. I, I, am a big, I'm a big project thinker. (laughs) I never, I never think small, like let's plant a window box. No, (laughs) let's build a beach here. So I have a beach now and which is, it was just fun. You know, we've got, I built a fire pit down there and we've got tiki torches and this is kind of crazy. So I, I've had the time to to do that, and and I, I garden. My gardens are magnificent, and I'm you know out there at sun up every morning pulling weeds. So so it sounds I've like it's uh, on... gratitude, gardening, and beach building, huh? <laughs> you are a great uh, summarizer, Aaron. It's gratitude, gardening, and beach building, and of course cooking. I love to cook. <laughs> I just study a lot of Japanese history. I'm more of a samuraiizer. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> that's another thing that's been so great at the beginning of the COVID crisis. There were so many 
companies that produced um, educational materials that made it available for free to people who were suddenly stuck at home and had time on their hands. And so I, I made a list of things that I never really learned about that I'd like to know more about. And I've, I've spent this time studying geometry and, and European history and things that I'd like to know more about. I'm also a musician, so I practice a lot. This has given me a lot of time to develop my jazz clarinet skills. And um, so my husband and it plays the euphonium, which is like a small tuba. And so we have these little ridiculous concerts at our house uh, and in front of our big picture window and all the neighbors walk by and listen and, and applaud. And it's, it's absolutely the most ridiculous thing you ever saw. Two old people, you know, playing inside their house for the neighbors outside. But <laughs> it's, it's kind of a quirky thing. Yeah, it's a quirky thing we do. We're having a good time. I am so glad to hear those things that are going well, Sherry. Thanks for sharing those things. Uh, what's something that you're struggling with right now? I think the lack of structure. I'm a, I'm a very structured person. I like to have a purpose every day. I like to know what I'm going to be doing for the next four or five days. I've never been any good at lying around and loafing. I wish I was. Um, I just... It's, I, I've accepted at my age that I enjoy working. Working is what gives me purpose. Working is what gives me joy. And so learning how to create a structure when there's nothing external uh, pushing the structure has been a challenge for me. You know, I get up and from eight to 10, I'm going to do this. And from 10 to 11, I'm going to do this. So learning to do that and pushing myself to, do to do things uh, in a structured manner when there's really no need whatsoever to do that, except my own internal satisfaction, uh, I think has been a struggle for me. It's also a struggle to see all this division in the country. I think that's a real source of sadness for me that we have all this opportunity to uh, we have all this social upheaval, which is such a blessing. And we have the opportunity to understand things about other people in our culture um, who've been disadvantaged and to understand things, what that reveals in ourselves. And we have the opportunity to protect each other and care for each other in brand new ways. And yet so many of us are taking this opportunity to be more divisive and more hostile and uh, uncaring than ever before. I don't really understand why that, why that would be when we have this critical turning point in, in our history, when we can all become better than we were and do better than we have. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a struggle for me to, uh, to watch that. Um, yeah, when you're geared toward a life of service and self-sacrifice to watch um, some of the population move in a direction that is the opposite of that, uh, it's uh, difficult to watch. It is difficult to watch. I think certain types of social media make it very easy for us to do that. And I've never understood why we would have conflict when we could have harmony. 
I, I am someone who embraces conflict. I like constructive conflict, but conflict for its own sake is just destructive. And, and why anyone ever engages in that is, is just beyond me. I think all this social upheaval has allowed us to hold a mirror up to ourselves that I guess the opportunity was already there, but not in the way it has been lately. It's, it's made me aware of some of my own flaws that I had no idea were there and given me the opportunity as it has us all to be better people and why we wouldn't just grab that by the horns and, you know, wrap our arms around the opportunity to be better as a country escapes me. Why we would not do that. Yeah. This is a, this is a unique time in the history of our country. I mean, we, we all as individuals and as a community have come under incredible stress, uh, incredible loss of control over our lives and also an incredible sense of, of the unknown, what's coming up next and all that. And the nice thing about stress, the nice thing about trauma is that that can trigger uh, an opportunity for us to look internally and come out the other side a little bit stronger for it. And uh, yeah, it, it does seem like on all sides of every argument, it seems that we are more focused on why the other person is wrong than on understanding on all sides of every argument. It's, it's horrendous. It's so disheartening to me to see Republicans, Democrats, you know, across the board, people seem to be like, it's, it's the uniting thing. The thing that's uniting us is hatred of each other. Aaron, it's so true. It's so true. And, and I think we have one of the things that social media has created is we, we forfeit our silent thought process. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. forfeit the, the 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 concept that maybe we should just chew on something and gather some information. And I also think it's very difficult for people to change their minds. Many people uh, look upon changing your mind about something as a sign of weakness and admitting, "Well, I was wrong before." When in fact, that's a mark of intelligence and. Ev- and, and human evolution, to be able to say, wow, I've been wrong about that all this time. I have more information now. I can be smarter. And that's, that's, a, that's something you should be proud of, actually. Mm-hmm. If the internal goal of a conversation is understanding as opposed to coercion, then we're going to gain what you just talked about. If, if I engage in a conversation and my goal is to understand what the other person is saying as opposed to change their mind about what they're saying, uh, then I, I'll be able to grow through that. But boy, it, it really does seem that, like you said, we've, uh, we've forfeited some of that uh, and we've, we've reduced our conversations down to tenth of a second clips online that we're all screaming and... Uh, that's that's in 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 my uh, kind of pessimistic opinion in, on this topic. I think that's the the worst thing happening right now. It's worse than what's happening economically or health wise. The divisiveness is 
I, I think the most destructive thing happening. What if your goal is pizza? (laughs) (laughs) And all the great TV shows I've been able to watch lately that I haven't had time for. I gosh, I've discovered some great new TV shows I've been binging. And so I have had that TV is not going to watch itself. (laughs) Come on. It's, you know, (laughs) there, there is an upside to everything. And, and Brian, you are a horrible person. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I try. Sherry, if we wanted to find you out there in the world of uh, the online, the social media, or, uh, you know, are there performances that are coming up in the distant future? The new, what, where could we find you sometime soon or, or easily? I don't have any personal performances coming up. Uh, and I'll just say that right off the bat. Whatever didn't get, within a single week in March, everything I had got canceled, uh, except for a few. And I'm not taking any new performances for this year. I'm, um, uh, I get a lot of requests and I'm, I just, I just feel that we're in this for the long haul. So I don't want to be the reason someone else gets sick because they came out to see me. So, um, but I am online. You can see me at sherrysavage.com, Facebook, Sherry Savage Comedy, uh, or Instagram, Sherry Savage Comedy. And I have some clips on and uh, that's a good way to, to see what I do. I am looking forward to getting back out next year. Uh, we're already starting to make plans for next year. I actually love doing casinos. I don't gamble, but I like casino audiences. And so uh, I've got a lot of clubs and casinos that I, I'll be at next year. And if you want to see me where you are, then let me know and we'll make that happen. Awesome. Thank you, Sherry, so much for being here on the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We're uh, always delighted to talk to you, and uh, you just make it a pleasure to uh, be in the room. Brian and Aaron, two of my favorite guys in the whole world. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from course language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. 